you want to get service, selection, and price so low, the Record Archive is the place to go. Dystopian with Fifi Kicks and Benny G, your music podcast for everything metal. Hey, what's worse than waking up at a party and finding a penis drawn on your face? Oh, well, finding out it was traced. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we have a jam packed episode today we do like we don't even have time for chit chat nope which is a good problem to have (laughs) it is so um we have an exclusive preview before we even dive in to the rest of the show um this is a new eric burke project and most of you know eric from Salako, blurring Nuclear Assault, past awesome bands like Lethargy, Calabas, Brutal Truth. Uh, So this new project is called Distorted Mosquito, which was born out of his original solo project, BCT, which he's been doing for like 20 years or something. Uh, So Brian Mason is lead guitar. Uh, Eric does everything else in their guest appearances from Chris Golding and Eric Sutton. Um, Distorted Mosquito has been on the back of Eric's brain for a while now, and actually him and Danny Lilker um, talked about this band name while they were on tour. So this has been in the mix for like a long time, I guess. Um, Eric plans to do more in the future with this project, and I believe the plan is to invite other artists along the way, so like a collaborative Um, So we chose to debut track nine because um, Burke's son wrote the lyrics and he also did backup vocals. And we think that's killer. Yep. And we had a chance to preview all the tracks and they're all awesome. Oh, yeah. It just just got better and better and better. And after 10 tracks, we were like, what? We want more. Yeah. And we went back through and listened again. (laughs) Uh, so, huge thank you to Eric for letting us debut a yeah, track. Absolutely. Um, we're really excited about this. It's awesome. So, enjoy. Our guest today really doesn't need an introduction. 
He is one of the most important figures in metal and extreme music. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. He co-founded Anthrax, and has been instrumental in SOD, Brutal Truth, Nuclear Assault, Hemlock, Nocturnal Hellstorm, Overlord Exterminator, and Blurring, just to name a few. He's also been the subject of a book. Perpetual Conversion. Yes, that someone needs to reprint, please. Please, so we don't have to pay $350 for it. <laughs> yep. Also, he's been in several documentaries, uh, not to mention being a columnist for Zero Tolerance Magazine, having a radio show on Gimme Radio called Brain Death. This just scratches the surface of what he has accomplished in his 40-year career. Uh, we are talking about Danny Loker. Not only... Can you turn a dial and hear hours of Danny playing in one band or another? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're local to the Rochester, New York area, you have the awesome opportunity to stop in at the Record Archive, where Danny is willing and waiting mm -hmm. to help you find a CD or record, provide recommendations, and he's even a great joke teller. He is, yeah. So alongside Danny, his wife Heather joined us in studio. Mm-hmm. We also had the pleasure of having a special co-host on the show today, Stormy Storms. Yep. The most lovable shit-posting, <laughs> scene-supporting, beer-slinging metalhead around. Yep. You can also catch her at the Record Archive with a smile ready to serve, and she'll be serving beers at the next in-house metal meltdown. Can't wait. Of course, our favorite happy hour. Yep. Let's check out some blurring. We're going to check out The Sleeping Giant off of their latest split with Cognizant and then get to our chat with Danny. <laughs> Thank you. 
thanks for coming to talk to us, Danny. You're welcome. And um, our and Heather. And uh, absolutely, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to. In case she didn't want to talk, I didn't want to rope her in. But um, our last in-person guest was Seth and Mark. Metal meltdown. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, before the plague started. Yeah. And hopefully the plague's winding down a little bit now. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much it is. Depends who you ask. Yeah, if you want to get reelected, then yeah, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to stay out of politics. <laughs> no, I remember we were supposed to have this talk in late March. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, everything hit the fan. So, uh, yeah. Everybody's social distance for a while, and we still are, and we're still trying to be smart about that, but it's, it's definitely safer now, three months later, to sit here without a mask in somebody else's house. So good for that. Wear the mic condoms. Do you have the mic condoms, which look <laughs> lovingly like little cupcake, uh, what do they call those things? The cupcake holders. The like, cupcake. I was going to say cupcake holders, but I thought that would sound unsophisticated. <laughs> but yeah, um, I used to work at a party supply store. I should know these things. <laughs> but yeah, so here we are. Better late than never, right? Yes. So I think everyone knows who you are. We don't have to go through the million bands you've been in, right? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't remember it all anyway. <laughs> um, we first wanted to start with asking you about blurring. What's going on with blurring, and what have you guys been doing during this COVID stuff? Uh, not fucking much. Oh. Uh, well, actually, no. My choice, somewhat out of laziness. <laughs> out of the dudes in the bands, I'm the only guy who doesn't live like right in the <clears throat> the city limits and everything. That's a five minute drive to practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scott lives on the edge of Webster, but it's just off Empire. I'm not going to tell you where he lives. <laughs> but the point being that, uh, yeah, ever since. Uh, this whole COVID thing started. I have not been at Blurring Rehearsal. But it's also because we're not a band. We've never been a band with a big pressing schedule. You know, yeah. We've always been very casual. Like, we write songs when we want. You know, we'll play a show at the Bug Jar every couple of months. The very occasional out-of-town show. Mostly what we do is we, um, if we have a show, we rehearse a live set or we work on new material. Now, we did manage to put out a split with Cognizant before we got that in uh, in the can before all this happens. We have that on order. Ah, well, I hope it shows up soon. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> and we have some newer songs, and I'm actually going to rehearse. We rehearse every Wednesday, except I haven't. The bands actually did start rehearsing the rest of those guys um, more recently, and I'm going to show up for the first rehearsal since... I think we did Metal Meltdown in March. Yep. But again, it's not like anyone's been texting me, where the hell are you, dude? Come on. You know, it's it's blurring. It's it's low maintenance. Laid back. And that's how I like it. You yeah. You know I mean? Because when Nocturnal Hellstorm broke up, I was like, okay, well, now I'm just in one band. But then I'm like, oh, I'm over 50. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> paid my dues. I'm going to relax. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, blurring has always been, like I said, fucking... Worldwide plague or not, always low key, not the biggest motivated band. So it's cool. We're just uh, we will start ramping up, learning some new stuff, but we're not going to be able to play a show for months, right? Yeah. So what's the big fucking rush? Yep. So where do you think your diverse creative drive came from? 
<sighs> well, mostly I was just kind of following, doing the most intense thing I could. So I just went through genres like I got into thrash metal as a teenager and everything. And then I started getting into the more extreme stuff like 80s black metal and death metal and grindcore. And I wanted to play that. So I think a lot of it was just pursuing intensity. And it's also, I never had any hangups like... For instance, when I left Nuclear Assault and went to Brutal Truth, that was, you know, probably not the best career move or something, right, as far as... <laughs> but I also never said, shit, man, what are these people who are just into Nuclear Assault are not going to get Brutal Truth? You know, should I do this? What are people going to think? I don't give a fuck what people think. Good. I just play what I want to play, and it might have thrown a couple of people a curveball, but uh, most people dug it. And uh, actually, there's a funny story involved with that, which was when... Brutal Truth toured with Immolation and Cannibal Corpse mm -hmm. in 95-96. Um, the first few shows of the tour, there were people who were coming out to that that weren't really familiar with Brutal Truth, but they, they knew Cannibal, which is probably the most heavy thing they were into. And they, of course, might have been familiar with Nuclear Assault and SOD, so at the first shows on that tour, people would come up before the whole show started and say, hey, man, you're Dan Looker. What are you doing here? And I go, I play in Brutal Truth with the first band. <laughs> After about a week of that, I started getting bored with that. And I was telling Alex from Cannibal Corpse, like, people keep coming up and fucking asking me what I'm doing here, and then they see me play. And we decided to come up with this really amusing story that before people realized I was there with Brutal Truth, if they just saw Dan Looker in the building at some Cannibal Corpse simulation show with some other band, what's he doing here? I started fucking with people and telling them that my real reason to be there was because there was a secret society of metalheads called the Metal Monitors. <laughs> we randomly show up because, remember, this is in the middle of the new metal thing. Oh, the good years. Yeah. <laughs> so we fooled a bunch of people until they saw Brutal Truth play an hour later with me into thinking that the reason I was at these shows was to make sure that the lineup was solid and all the opening bands, there was no new metal crap on there. And people would be really inspired and go, wow, man, that's so fucking cool. And then 45 minutes later, they'd see me on stage and go, wow, oh, what an asshole. <laughs> so, uh, that's funny. Yeah, thought I'd uh, share that with you <laughs> as far as the bridge of genres, you mm -hmm. know, and how people saw shit. So. Yep. I read that your sister possibly got you into heavy music originally. Is that true? My late sister got me into classic rock and weed when I was uh, very, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. She got me into 60s stuff, Beatles, Stones, The Who, Jimi Hendrix. You know, it gets heavier as you go along. Mm -hmm. um, the Doors, Yardbirds. Uh, but yeah. You're talking about heavy music, like Cream and Hendrix, that type of stuff. I mean, even the Beatles, Abbey Road, there's some heavy shit on there mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of took that and rolled with it and got into Zeppelin and Sabbath myself. And then you're on that road. Once you get into Black Sabbath, then, you know, no turning back. But yeah, my sister did get me into uh, heavy music at the very beginning of it. 
and I just kind of went with that. Hmm. Do you? What are your go-to's for that? Old, do you still draw from that stuff when you write today at all? Or I know your the style is very different, but um, I actually don't consciously think about anything when I mm. write music. It's just like uh, a creative flow. Mm-hmm. It could be unconscious. It's possible that you know we'd be hanging out and partying and listening to Sabbath or Priest or something, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll write something more old school the mm-hmm. next day. But honestly, I. It's when I write, it's very natural and I don't have any direct influences. I've it's like influences for playing bass. I haven't had any since fucking Steve Harris, you know? So yeah, um that stuff might seep in unconsciously, but I don't consciously channel anything when mm-hmm. I write except uh Satan and weed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So do you, a lot of people in their writing, they like don't listen to a certain style of music that might be similar to what they're doing. Do you not take that into account? No, no, I don't take that into account at all. I'm not going to, if I'm playing, like when I was playing black metal and Nocturnal Hellstorm, I wouldn't not listen to black metal worrying about whether it's going to seep into my writing because I'm kind of self-powered with all that. Um, the way I write music, it's, a very natural organic process that's actually hard to... Sc- to- Are you making noise over there, Stormy? <laughs> I'm trying not to. I'm sorry. That's okay. The beer must flow. Yeah, yeah. Those are good background noises. <laughs> right. <laughs> All that shit. No, no, I don't avoid a genre if I'm playing it because I'm confident enough that I could separate my influences from my creative process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I've seen people do that, unfortunately. You hear somebody write riffs and they're basically writing whatever they were listening to the day before. Yeah. You know, I don't let that happen. But I don't have to avoid a genre to do that. I could just go in the other lane. I don't know. So when you started Anthrax with Scott, right? Yep. Um, did you, you two both started on guitar? Is that what happened? I started on guitar because nobody else could figure out the Iron Maiden harmonies when we did cover stuff. So instead of constantly showing somebody else how to do it, I said, fuck it, I'll just play the other guitar. Mm-hmm. But then we uh, went to see Black Sabbath at Madison Square Garden in 1981 on the Black and Blue tour with Blurster Cold opening up. Dio on vocals, which I discussed last week when I was doing a Dio um, documentary interview. But... Uh, Scott and I looked at each other, and it's like, you need to go back to bass. That's your natural instrument. I played guitar as a convenience. So, you know, the priest and maiden harmonies. It was just too much trouble explaining it to somebody else. But I still write on guitar. I have a guitar at home. I find it, you know, easier. If I'm going to show it to somebody else anyway on guitar, if I write a riff, mm-hmm. might as well just give birth to it on guitar. But I don't like playing guitar as a natural bass player, I find the strings to be too close together. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, um, I didn't realize until looking stuff up for this that. <laughs> that um, <laughs> Thanks for that double IPA, by the way. <laughs> Unless this is wrong, because it was on the internet um, that John Connolly was in Anthrax before the first demo. That is true. He was an original member. Of Anthrax, but he was only 16 then, and he was just a vocalist. And uh, 
let's just say that he hadn't really got his vocal style down mm-hmm. then by then, mm-hmm. so it didn't really work out. But uh, yeah, and then um, by the time I was out of Anthrax in early '84, I might be jumping ahead here. I knew he was just uh, hanging around at White Stone Queens and playing guitar and listening to the same stuff I did. So that's how Nuclear Assault came together. But again, I might be jumping ahead. No, oh, that's good. It's an, it's an open forum. Cool. Um, it's like wild to think about that you guys were actual children, like babies, when this all got started. <laughs> how old were you? Um, I f- met Scott in high school... And we formed Anthrax, I might have been 16 or 17. Like, the most important thing I think most people do when they're 16 or 17 is, like, learn how to drive and not kill themselves by drinking too much beer, and you did this instead? I did those things, too. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Um, It just seems like so much, like, you know, even as an adult now and just being friends with people in bands, it seems like so much work to do tours and like plant, get people to show up to band practice. Like you're an adult, you can do things. It's, it's <laughs> wild to think that you guys were like organized enough or passionate enough to be successful at that age. Well, it was the passion. It wasn't the organized. Definitely. <laughs> it was the fact that there was no blueprint back then for any of that stuff. We were inventing a genre, doing our part. I mean, when I first started in Anthrax, though, we hadn't even, there was no Metallica or anything. We were doing Judas Priest and Iron Maiden covers. We eventually got into playing faster when we got Charlie. But that was, yeah, the basis for it was um, just the inspiration and wanted to play music. I don't know. It's hard to think about because, for one thing, it was 35 years ago. Actually, more. If you think about the <laughs> real origins, but... Also, because there was such a natural process, it was hard to, uh, I don't know, it's too organic to discuss and step back and analyze, but I try to do that now, <laughs> you know, with the distance. Did you go to private school? Nope. I went to Bayside High School in Bayside, Queens. You are the first one so far from that, from like the uh, New York City area. That hasn't gone to private school. So Danny from Malignancy, Catholic private school. school. Right? They're all Catholic oh, schools. Oh, Catholic schools, yeah. Um, Ross and Bob from Emulation went to Catholic school. I'm not Catholic. Oh, you are Jewish. Well, I, but I didn't say Catholic schools. I asked if you went to a private school. So. No, I went to temporary Hebrew school to train for the bar mitzvah, but that was more like on Sunday mornings. That didn't replace regular education. And uh, no nun was going to hit me with a fucking yardstick. Anyway. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fucking ram it up her crack. <laughs> Are you religious? No. I'm not religious. I've never been religious. Um, my connection to black metal is more about being an atheist who has a strong contempt for organized religion. So I'm more of a antichrist in that sense okay um no i've never when i had my bar mitzvah i was just making my parents happy and they in turn were just making their relatives happy because they didn't give a shit either really they didn't yeah. give you a hard time about it no if jews aren't orthodox jews then most of them just don't give a fuck yeah so that's those my parents in fact 
One time I was coming back from Japan when I lived with my parents and I said, could you pick me up at JFK? And they go, no, we're going to Temple. It's Rosh Hashanah. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, you give a shit about that stuff. And they're like, yeah, you know, we have to go or else you know, we'll get crap the next family gathering. Are you sure it's not just an excuse to go not go to JFK? <laughs> Very well, maybe, but I had come back from Japan and I was tired and I had to take a taxi. Well, because they felt like they had to pretend they cared. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I am not religious. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. No, you didn't. You didn't. Um, so what what did you want to be as a kid when you grew up? Was there something before the, the music stuff? Oh, just things that a kid would want to be, like a baseball player or an astronaut. But then those all fell... Um, I wanted to be a baseball player until I was in Little League and I got hit in the head with a fastball. And I was like, yeah, fuck this. this yeah. hurts. <laughs> then I was, I was interested in astronomy and then I saw the test that astronauts had to go through where they basically put you in some thing and spin you around until you yeah. puke. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't look like fun either. <laughs> so by then it was kind of convenient. I was getting into rock and, you know, I guess primeval metal back then. And uh, so everything worked out. You know, um, I was never going to be, a, you know, join the fucking military or anything like that. You know, there's some countries where that's mandatory. Then uh, see people with funny haircuts for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at the back of In the Sign of Evil. <laughs> Please call your next band Primeval Metal. <laughs> <laughs> Just might. Do you still play the piano? You yeah. started with the piano, didn't you? I did. Um, well, we have a piano at work, but it's hard to get to now because they, we're, doing, we're, we're working, moving the bar around to accommodate social distancing. And the piano now is under the dinosaur to the point where it's... Uh, Previously unsaid sentences in human history. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. No one's ever said the piano's under the dinosaur. Sounds like an episode title. Yep. <laughs> the only thing I do when I get on the piano is I do uh, the beginning of that macabre song, the I'm going to kill you and I'll slit your throat too. I forgot. Vampire of Dusseldorf. That's that piano intro. I'll do that. And everyone thinks I'm doing a show too. And I'm like, no, I'm saying <laughs> about a murderer <laughs> who shoots a load when he kills you. <laughs> So I have heard, I think, uh, I can't remember who it was with, but an interview you were doing, and you said that you needed to be, unless I mistook this, that you needed to be with Nuclear Assault to create music with them, rather than do it remotely. Is that, or was that just a recording process? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if that's totally actually true, because... Back in the day, we all wrote together. But mm -hmm. when we, we put out that Pounder thing a few years ago, mm -hmm. I wrote three out of those four songs, musically anyway. And um, of course, the technology had improved as far as you know, drum programming and all that. But um, it's easier now. You don't have to have four dudes in the same room anymore. Right. You know, I can, especially because when it was time to do that record and we had to write old school stuff, I just went into a little time machine 
set speed limits so there were no blast beats or gnarly vocals on anything I would write, and wrote thrash metal, and I could do it myself. Of course, eventually I'll run out of creativity, like a car will run out of gas, but um, that's why we wrote an EP. Just a few songs, because mm -hmm. that's all that was necessary at the time. So I'm not sure what I said when I said that. <laughs> that was a good EP, by the way. Oh, thanks. Enjoyed it. It was, it was a little bit different than the previous stuff. Well, uh, tried to make it old school sounding, but of course with technology it's different. And we did it here in town at Black Dog Digital. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was cool. I don't think the engineer really knew what to do with our music, but we helped him along. You know, we don't need a producer. I don't need a fucking producer now. I know what I want shit to sound like. I just mm -hmm. need someone to turn the knobs to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and listen to some Nuclear Assault. Off the Pounder EP. Analog Man. So it's 2020. Should Vince Neil still be butt-fucked if not for murder for all the shitty, cringeworthy performances over the past several years? I think by now he might enjoy it, so no. Okay. <laughs> He'll take it away? Yeah. Okay. That, you, know, you know that joke 
where the masochist says to the sadist, beat me, and the sadist says, no. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I asked the question. Has Danny blessed you guys with any jokes yet, aside from that one? Uh, we did get one at Record Archive when we went. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll say that for posterity. All right, cool. <laughs> what did Mr. Spock find in the toilet? <laughs> the captain's log. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to it, then. <laughs> Is there any chance of you revisiting extra hot sauce? No, I'm not a very good drummer. No. No. <laughs> that was just for fun. And, I don't know. Um, nah. No. Mm. Over it. <laughs> yeah. I still tap all the time on drums, but uh, I don't think I really want to play them anymore. I'm old now. I'll get a backache. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use any uh, drum software? Like on the computer? Yeah, when I do stuff, uh, when I did my little homemade black metal band, uh, I used uh, the contact suite. And in that, they have Studio Drummer. And uh, yeah, it sounds amazing. Plus, I know how to program stuff. I know how to make stuff sound like a real drummer. Nice. You know, you don't want just those fills that just sound like... <laughs> you know, you got to have some... <laughs> The proper emphasis and the right hands louder than the left hands and all that. Uh -huh. I've gotten good at that. Tricked people. You, do you use your uh, grain synthesizer in contact as well? Or is that something else? Uh, no, not really. I've, I used to build virtual synthesizers in Reactor, but I okay. got lazy and stopped doing that. But it's good. I got one that just all sounds with... Uh, but it's just samples of Attila from Mayhem. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great. It just goes... <laughs> yeah. So um, that's pretty cool. You, I, I heard you say that you were working on something with someone from Italy with, with a green synth project. That's, yeah, that's with that thing. Yeah, well, that's my friend Marco in Italy. We were doing a project. But the real irony is we'd stopped and haven't done it for a few years. But the one song that we did finish was called Pandemic, hmm. way before this shit happened. But that's because it had a lot of panning in it. It would go left and right, <laughs> left and right, and it was very fucked up and scary sounding. So it was Pandemic. And we uh, kind of fell off doing that. Um, but, you know, we're good friends who still talk all the time, and it's easy enough maybe to start doing that again. But I have to do shit when I'm inspired, mm -hmm. you know? Especially if it's just something I'm doing fun stuff with a bro, I'm not going to do it until I feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think you have to be creatively inspired and not just churn shit out. Mm -hmm. So uh, I haven't felt that urge lately. Did was that project? Did it have a name or? No, I never got that far. No. But it would have been really offensive if we did. He's <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. an old like black metal punk hardcore dude. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So when you were doing the Ravenous stuff, how was that working with Killjoy? Oh, that was great. You know, I mean, uh, that was always just a project that we would just do once in a while and did a few shows. But, you know, Killjoy was an old friend of mine, so it was cool doing stuff with him again. Mm -hmm. And that was around the turn of the century when we did that first record and then we played that... Uh, California Festival, or was it November to Dismember, or whatever it was called, and um, 
Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I mean, Killjoy as a vocalist, you know, maybe his timing was a little all over the place, especially live. He'd be fucking super drunk and just fucking scream. Speaking of drunk. <laughs> that was part of his charm, though, right? Yeah, yeah. With Killjoy, you know, you weren't going to get just some cut and dried thing. It was just fucking all over the place, and you just hope he didn't roll on you while you were playing. Is there a precedent for that? Uh... No, but sometimes he'd be fucking, you know, he'd put on lots of blood and shit, too. So he wanted to make sure that you're the first one in the shower afterwards. <laughs> He's like a cat, like, marking you as his territory, getting his fake blood and sweat and <laughs> whatever else know. is on that guy all over you. Oh, Killjoy, you'd go to his hotel room, and the dude, he was such a chain smoker, he would have, like, two cigarettes in his mouth, two more in his hands, and four in the ashtrays. <laughs> and I'd be like, dude, that's a whole pack. He's like, yeah, I'm getting to him. I'm getting to <laughs> yeah. And he gains a lot of weight, so he was just kind of sitting in a corner and just, would you grab me that beer, please? It's <laughs> you know? like a vibe I aspire to at some point in my life. Just slave to the cigarettes, making people pass me beers. <laughs> He like a big up, stinky Buddha. Right. He was <laughs> kind of job of the hut of death metal. Yo. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> How many Life garbage goals. plates do I have to eat before I become the job of the hut of death metal? <laughs> Pizza the hut. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I think you said you ended up um, working with Nick Barker from Lockup. Is that how that kind of originated? Uh, yeah. I... Ended up doing some shows with Lockup that started around 2013 because, you know, Shane is really the bass player of Lockup. Mm -hmm. But, oh yeah, I'll say it. Um, the guy who managed Napalm Death was also their booking agent. And he didn't always pay attention. Shane would say, Mark, don't book anything from March 12th to March 23rd because I'm doing some Lockup shows. Mark would go, Okay, Shane. <laughs> a week later, you go, all right, I've booked some shows and they start marching. He said, what did I fucking tell you then? Shane would go, I can't do it. So the first time, he just wrote me in a panic, like, Danny, can you do some shows? Can you can you learn a lockup set in three weeks or something? Go out and do some shows with those guys? So I'm like, yeah. Are you kidding? I played a brutal truth. Lockup would be like kindergarten after that. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I ended up filling in whenever Shane got double booked, which happened a few times, by the way. Um, so I ended up playing shows with Lockup, and which was great, you know, when they had the lineup with Anton and Nick and uh, Tompa, the singer of At the Gates, who went back to At the Gates, and now they have uh, Kevin from Brutal Truth, and I already played in a couple of bands with that, so you know, kind of over that. Mm. So how did um, like I think when you guys were going to play here, Nuclear Assault, um, Drew was going to play drums. Is that true? Yeah, Drew was going to play drums the show that was supposed to be a photo city. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that show got blown out. At least for now. By the way, if you do have tickets to that show, or if you're intending to go to that show, it will eventually happen. If you got a ticket, throw it in an envelope, throw it in your drawer. We Not do your drawers. <laughs> <laughs> we got tickets, so. They're okay. on the fridge. Yeah. With our love note from Blurring. <laughs> we'll have to show you that later. A love note from Blurring, yeah, because yeah. we are a lovey-dovey guy. Right <laughs> yep. If you heard our rehearsals, you'd know that's true. 
every time Burke fucks up, he's like, shit on Christ. <laughs> then we're like, hmm, can I get a shit on Christ with fries, please? <laughs> that couple of fries? Is that like the most cursed version of the croque monsieur, the shit on Christ? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely much worse than fucking piss Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that got like all of arts defunded by the federal government. I can't imagine how horrible that is. <laughs> Yeah, well, sometimes you just gotta say what's on your mind. True. <laughs> Damn the torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a question about Hemlock. Um, I think you said that kind of early on, in the early years anyways that you guys were kind of the only ones doing that style in New York City. Oh, yeah, what, black metal? Yeah. Real black metal? Yeah. Um. So, and you said you were playing with death metal bands a lot of times, right? Well, if you wanted to play with brutal bands, mm-hmm. heavy bands, we had to play with death metal bands because there was, weren't any other black metal bands. Mm-hmm. So might have had like a Basgaroth in New Jersey or mm-hmm. something like that, but they just, to me, sounded and looked exactly like Satyricon, and mm-hmm. there already is a Satyricon. So, um, yeah, we didn't, Hemlock never copped the vibe like, oh, you know, we can only play with cult KVLT bands or something like that. We're like, fuck it. You know, we want to play shows. Then uh, we'll play with bands that are slightly outside our genre because we didn't have that kind of attitude. We just wanted to play shows once in a while, and that's what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that was, that was it. I was going to ask, um, do you have an opinion on the kind of, oh, maybe not just black metal, but elitist bands in general? Well... Um, let's just say um, you don't have to answer <laughs> oh no 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 I want to answer okay. <laughs> it sounds like a it. threat dude <laughs> well, I'm telling you <laughs> no um, sometimes there's a reason to uh, broadcast superiority some of it's just to be obnoxious mm-hmm. especially with black metal mm-hmm. because black metal is an ideological genre but um, you have to if you're going to cop an attitude like that you got to live up to it mm-hmm. alright if you're going to be an asshole in interviews and talk shit about other people or anything like that you better fucking be you know you better be the bee's fucking knees mm-hmm. so I've never talked shit unless I could back it up let's put it that way mm-hmm. you know and some people would talk shit because they're insecure maybe yeah. that's never been my problem mm-hmm. and it's it's not because I'm not insecure, because that might be in my personal life, but um, when it comes to music, I know exactly what the fuck I'm doing and always have done, and that's my strength. I could barely change a tire, but I could play <laughs> black metal, grindcore, thrash metal, death metal, whatever. Um, so elitism is only tolerable if it's, you know, you can prove that you have a reason to say those mm-hmm. things. Okay. That's what I'll, I'll say that. Be slightly diplomatic. Because I remember seeing all those interviews with black metal bands and, you know, Satir and people like that talking shit back in the day. Yeah. And some of it was just funny. You yeah. had the feeling that they were just giggling like they were right that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, he said that we covered Motorhead's Orgasmatron and we made it better because Motorhead sucks. And I'm like, dude, you wouldn't have covered Motorhead if you didn't love Motorhead. Right, right, yeah. You know? Good point. I cornered Fenris on a couple of things the first time I met him. You know, you say you don't like death metal, but you got a repulsion tattoo. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, we had to we had to talk shit at the time to 
separate ourselves. Mm. But I didn't feel that way first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. So you hung out with Fenris at his farmhouse, right? That we could read about in your book if we could get a hold of it, if someone <laughs> would reprint it. <laughs> yeah, he was very excited that day. He's like, we're going to fucking... You're going to come with me down to my farmhouse. We're going to take acid and hang out. Nice. Then everyone else showed up later. But yeah, um, we met at Elm Street, that bar. And I forgot when we dropped. But then we went to a store and bought a bunch of beer. And I remember because he was very like, the bus is coming at 217. We have to hurry up. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, fine. We just fucking threw a bunch of beer in a bag. And then we got on the bus. And then as soon as we got out of the city into the suburbs, we had a giant traffic jam. And we both had really full bladders. We were sitting in the back of the bus. We're like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and then when we got to his house, you had to walk through the forest, like fucking Dorothy or something. <laughs> and um, we got halfway through the, the beautiful Norwegian woods of nature that everyone sings about. And I'm like, dude. I'm going to piss in your fucking Norwegian woods. (laughs) (laughs) And I stopped and fucking got it out, was pissing on a tree trunk, and I turned around, and he was three trunks down. (laughs) Going, I'm glad it was you first. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, we went to his house, and uh, we sat outside on these picnic tables and drank a bunch of beer, and, you know, the the acid kicked in, and he had a boombox, so he was playing trans techno. And his mom lived on the second floor. This is in the book, but his mom lived on the second floor. And she stuck her head out the window and said in Norwegian, would you boys like some waffles? And I understood her because I was tripping. <laughs> well. <laughs> that was so scary. <laughs> and he was like, how did you know that's what she said? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then he was like, then we were like, no. We don't want waffles because waffles is means there's going to be like some kind of strawberry gel kind of thing on top of them. And you don't want to see that when you're tripping. It's like pulsing liquid. <laughs> pulsing thick, vicious, viscous liquid. And we were like, no, thank you, Mrs. Negel. And she closed the window and that was it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a fun day. I kept trying to make him play Goat Lord, an old Darkborn record, while I was peeking. And he said, nope. <laughs> but then he put on the crumb suckers or something and I'm like come on dude <laughs> uh, but then everybody else showed up later and Mr. Cum and Emperor and all those bands and then he randomly just went to sleep he just walked out of the room and fucking didn't come back <laughs> no buy or anything just gone yeah and then we're like where's Fenris and he goes oh he always does that <laughs> like, is he part Irish <laughs> and, uh, yeah and I remember then we smoked his marbles hmm. so fun day So let's grab another beer and check out The Smile of Desolation from Hemlock. The 
So, Hemlock, you said there wasn't a lot of bands doing that style in New York City at the time, but you ended up playing The Return of Darkness and Evil Fest. Is that the one with Black Witchery and Pro Fanatica? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of our last shows. That was in New Jersey. How was that? Oh, that was killer. Um, you have to think at that time, as far as American black metal, this was still before all these bedroom bands. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm friends with uh, Imperial from Creed, so, I mean, but all those bands like that, this was still when there was actually four people in a band and yeah. everything. But, uh, yeah, those were, uh, that was a fun time. Um, I know black metal's not supposed to be fun, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we hung out with the Black black Witchery guys, and those guys like to smoke a lot of weed, so we did. And Pro Fanatica, it was like kind of like their comeback show and it was weird because Paul, instead of wearing traditional corpse paint, they just blackened their whole faces. Oh, really? So it just looked like somebody had just taken coal and rubbed it all over your face. Was he naked otherwise? Nah, no? I think he was too fat by then. To <laughs> Nobody wanted to see that. Did you ever see the, the old Pro Fanatica video where they uh, had a circle jerk on the Bible? No, I heard about that, but I didn't see it. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> I had Jesus Christ, Danny. <laughs> yeah, he was in that book too. <laughs> um, I never did that personally. <laughs> I don't think Are you not on video, anyways? <laughs> no, just because I wouldn't want to sit around with a bunch of other naked guys, and I don't think I could uh, form the old. Uh, right. You know. Not with that attitude, anyways. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had a someone sent me a a video a while ago, and it had. I didn't do it. I'm it, scared. It. No, oh, I think DBC was on there, Electric Hellfire Club was on there, and uh, Pro Fanatica. It was just a combination of different live performances, and um, there was the set before Pro Fanatica played, which was good. The set was good, but um, before that, they had they were talking to Paul and in his like dressing room and he was trying to cut his forehead with a razor like a rust an old wrestler and he was like struggling with it and then he was complaining that someone had stole his pizza and i'm thinking like this guy's gonna go out and be you know the evil guy and he's he, it was just funny it's because he's out of his mind yeah all. yeah yeah the first time they played with brutal truth back in the day he kept asking me like do we suck do we suck are we good do we suck do we suck <laughs> and uh yeah they um it was them. Or, no, it was Crucifier that had the giant upside-down goat on the crucifix that the club made him take out. Tight. Yeah. Because when they showed up, Crucifier, with uh, my old friend Kaz, they had this thing under wraps. And we were like, what the fuck is that? It's like eight feet tall. Then right before they went on, they took it off, and they, they had found a goat, and they crucified it upside-down on this cross. Obviously, it was dead already. They didn't, there was no animals were harmed in the making of that. But the club was still like, yeah, you can't no. have a fucking dead animal in our bar. And they're like, that's what the smell was. Because it was under wraps for a while. And they took it off and it was like, yeah. And the bar was, they were like, yeah, uh, sorry. Is that like the gnarliest thing you've seen at a show? Or is there something that like really stands out and takes the cake for you? Well, I've seen Watain a few times. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, 
No, that's pretty up there. I mean, you could talk about like the mayhem, the pig heads, and all that. And when I saw Mayhem Watane a few years ago in Pittsburgh in November, it was funny because Mayhem had the pig heads, but Watane had like pig heads and stuff. But Mayhem was complaining because Watane's pig heads smelled too much because Mayhem changed out their pig heads every day. <laughs> They were like, what, Danny? He goes, they still got that same fucking pighead from two weeks ago, and it's fucking rag Pighead shaming. Yeah. It's like, at least we fucking have our pighead swapped out every day. They're fresh. I don't know. I feel like the stinky pighead is more true out of the two, you know? Yeah, but you could tell when you walk backstage, there's a certain aroma <laughs> with that, you know? I mean, I, when I saw Sarkis back in the old days at the bug jar... I don't know if you guys remember those days. The guys who played in Nocturnal Hellstorm, some of them were in Sarkis before mm -hmm. that. They did that once. They brought in some... They went to the forest and did something bad. Brought it with them. Mm. I remember that day because it was 20 degrees out. I'm in the mall with my wife. I'm shopping at Macy's and they text me like, we're going to the woods. Do you want to come? And I'm like, no, I'm at the mall. <laughs> 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 and then they texted me a picture an hour later. I was like, oh boy, it's a good thing I didn't go. <laughs> and apparently, yeah, when you do slice open the gut of a fucking animal that's been dead for a while, but all these gases escape, and it's kind of noxious. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. They found out the hard way. <laughs> and, you know, go Macy's. I, yeah. <laughs> right. and I just got a new pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> no it's good though that that spirit still lives the reckless crazy you know I'm a 55 year old man I'm not gonna go slice up a goat anymore or at all slice. yeah <laughs> good save <laughs> yeah I'm happy you didn't hear that and uh you know but the spirit's still there which is you know just to be a chaotic element yeah, everyone loves the spirit until you get a face full of old-ass octopus at a show. Yeah, that's not cool. That's rough. <laughs> that smell doesn't come off after the first shower. <laughs> yeah, oh, a Caligon style, yeah. <laughs> you have to be dedicated. So, when you left New York City, is that when you left Hemlock? Uh, that kind of happened around the same time, but mm -hmm. I left Hemlock anyway because... Tony, uh, I'm sorry, His Eminence the Wicked, uh -huh. our drummer, had left because after 9-11 uh, um, happened, he freaked out, mm. and he wanted to go to Afghanistan stand and strangle Osama bin Laden with his bare hands. Okay. So he said, I can't think about music now. And that was it. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so when you started Nocturnal Hellstorm... Was that kind of a, a reinventing of a black metal band here? Not that it was the same as Hemlock, but... Well, I played a Crucifix for years, which mm -hmm. is an amalgamation of Black Death and Doom, but mm -hmm. I wanted to play pure black metal, so when Crucifix kind of fell by the wayside, I seized the opportunity and our vocalist, Ron, mm -hmm. and said, let's play some fucking The Real... Because by then it was 2010, which meant that it had been... 17 years since Euronymous was taken out and black metal by then had become this amalgamous kind of it was getting away from the roots I thought mm -hmm. and the people who were playing it 
and I dare I mention the H word hipster, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to bring black metal back to what I thought it should be, mm. and I did. And that was the feeling, the extremity. Okay, now it wasn't the Hellhammer Bathory stuff. It was Dark Throne, Burzum, all that stuff, the 90s Scandinavian black metal, but I was really taken with that stuff obviously mm -hmm. and i wanted to do that in rochester new york in 2010 mm -hmm. and it worked because by then nobody was doing that like that there were other bands that were kind of assimilating that into their stuff but in the 90s once it got to the late 90s once the sensationalism wore off about you know the hype and yeah. oh they burn churches and all that it had gotten kind of watered down and muddied and uh i wasn't a fan of that not that i'm gonna run around and you know fucking get into trouble to taking any illegal activities but mm. it was more about the spirit mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. i wanted to recreate you know that chill in the air and uh that's why nocturnal hellstorm was formed mm -hmm. to bring back that feeling when your hair stand up on your arm mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know and you have to not everybody got it and that was fine but you either get it or you don't mm -hmm. you right. know the people that did it just you know just might have thought it was the same thing as like Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a bat some shock value stuff right. Right. but if you have that feeling you know in your black heart then that's it so Ron went to Texas right is there a chance of you guys doing anything remotely ever? Or? Well, by the time he left, we were having lineup changes problems anyway. I mean, Matt from Blurring was actually in the last incarnation of Nocturnal Hellstorm. We were a six-piece band, and it was hard to get six dudes to jam once a week. Yeah. So that's why I did my started doing my little homemade thing, which I really have to do another song. I'm kind of lazy with Twilight Sentinel, because, again, you have to be inspired. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, we'll see, but it's, uh, it has to be under the right conditions. It has to feel right. It shouldn't be forced or hackneyed or anything like that. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe next year this time I'll want to fucking form another full on band, but, or not. So that's more likely than extra hot sauce. Oh, much more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice try though. No. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm letting you down. No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> so you mentioned the drummer from Hemlock's Infernal name. Uh, what is yours, and have you had more than one? And what are some of your favorites that you've come across the years? Well, my Infernal name when I was in Hemlock was Balth, B-A-L-T-H. And that's more because I'm kind of like, I've been compared to the guy in a beautiful mind playing metal, because Balth is just... Brutal truth without the words rut in both words. Those are the letters that are left over. If you write down brutal truth, both words have the word rut in it. Nobody likes to be in a rut, no less two. They take all the ruts out, and in order, the remaining letters are B-A-L-T-H. I like it. So that's what I took. And, um... Oh, I mean, when the internet came around, all the black metal guys were like, well, I know what my fucking name's gonna be. So that's, you know, my internet name has that in it, too. 
my email address, whatever. But that's just an old tradition where, you know, ever since Kronos, Mantis, and Abaddon, you know, it was more about the theatrics of it, making it larger than life and not calling yourself just like Frank or whatever. I'm Steve. I play black metal. (laughs) Do you think there's like power in that though? Like there's a tradition in the occult of taking on another name so you can like manifest a different version of yourself because who you are is so deeply tied to your name. Do you think that like carries over into doing music as well? It depends how much you roll with. If the bands that did the whole theatrical thing with corpse paint or spikes and robes, which we did at our last show, it becomes a whole nother persona, especially for shy people like me, where you know you can kind of live vicariously through your other personality or something. But um, as far as... Yeah, there's a certain power to it because you're kind of role-playing a tiny bit, but it's also, it's still you, but... Like on our last Nocturnal Hellstorm show, we said, fuck it, and we did the robes and paint and all that stuff. And we really lucked out because our last show was in August and it wasn't 90 degrees that day. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, fuck it, I'll play naked under this fucking cape. <laughs> and fortunately, I didn't have to do that, although I was not very dressed. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's about a certain feeling and... My friend Marco from Italy, who we were talking about before, I was doing the synth band with, he saw some of that video from the last Nocturnal show, and even just on the video, he was able to sense, he was like, I could feel the atmosphere. I could tell that this was, you know, a true black metal event, blah, blah, blah. And I got nothing to prove. I don't care if people think it's true or not. But, yeah, you could sense it, that, you know, there was a chill in the air. And uh, you'd have to be there. Or maybe not, if you can watch it on YouTube and still get that feeling. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of remarkable, like, getting the chill of black metal in August at, I'm assuming, a bug jar show. So it was 7,000 degrees in there. Well, then you could thank us for the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of, like, the newer avant-garde black metal stuff, like uh, like Thespal Omega and, like, a lot of the Icelandic bands now are... Kind of sounding like that. I'm not so familiar with all that stuff, but my general feeling is I'm a bit of a snotty purist. Mm-hmm. So, as some people... Some, Are you really going to throw me under the bus like this? <laughs> all I did was look at you. You're going to throw yourself under the bus. Um, I understand if people want to fucking mix stuff in with other stuff, but... Um, Certain genres, I think, benefit the most from being pure and cold and dark. And mm-hmm. um, but then again, I played in Brutal Truth, and we brought a little black metal in, although we played it twice as fast. But as a musician... I think in one way, in one aspect, people should do whatever the hell they want. They want to take influencers and this and that. But as a fucking black metal purist asshole, I think maybe that it should stay the way it is and not be diluted and watered down and fucking, you know. God, I mean, 
when Alcest played here a few years ago, they had an opening band from New Hampshire, and they had an album with was a white cover, and it had a rainbow on it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, where did they go wrong? <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that. I'm not being anti-homophobic. Not the rainbow part. I'm just saying black metal albums should be a fucking dude in the woods at night or whatever. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's aesthetics. There's, you know, there's part of the whole thing. Words mean things. Yeah. And, you know, um, I thought some of it maybe strayed a little bit. But who's who am I to say? You know, whatever. Someone's got to hold down the fucking fort. <laughs> <laughs> Who, so on the, the Nocturnal Hellstorm covers, there was like a figure on... That was our drummer, Joe. That was? Yeah, because he's the one on the first album cover who would stand there in a robe mm -hmm. when it was 15 degrees out. So he said, you win. <laughs> and uh, also because he was like, very much the spirit of the bands in one way, just the way he wrote music and mm -hmm. acted. And we thought it was cool to put the drummer on the fucking thing because he's the guy who's in the back, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't going to be me because, oh, it's Dan Looker's black metal band, and look, he's on the cover. You know, that would be too predictable. And he's on the cover of the second record because he's the only one who would run up a 12-foot snow pile <laughs> holding a sword and a cape. Hell yeah. So uh, he was on that one, too. <laughs> and it's not the Dark Throne tradition where you get to take turns. It's my turn. Yeah. Give me the candelabra. It's you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, just uh, how it worked out. <laughs> and he was very much the spirit of the band that way. And, you know, played real fast. Mm -hmm. like we wanted him. So for Venomous Concept, do you have any shows planned or any material planned? Actually, I'm no longer in Venomous Concept. Okay. But that is only because okay. Shane decided to play bass again, so my mm. position was obsolete. Mm. So, you could have two bass players. Whoa. Yeah, no. playing punk rock? Eh. No, okay. <laughs> so, but hey, you know, I think I got a good record. The last time I was thrown out of a band was Anthrax in 1984, so. <laughs> you know? I got to take these off because my lobes are killing me. Okay. All right. I can still hear you guys. Okay. All right. Um, so... Do you think, about the Anthrax thing, um, do you think he would have left Anthrax anyway on your own eventually for creative purposes? There's that whole other hypothetical fork in the road thing that would have been really difficult to predict because mm -hmm. I was the driving force behind the heavier shit, like on Fistful of Metal. Mm -hmm. And had I stuck around, there probably would have been some kind of clash because... Had I stuck around, they'd thrown out Neil and got Joey, who sang more melodic, eventually there would have been some kind of issue where they would have wanted to go in a direction that would have been, that would have irked me, and who knows, I might have just said, fuck it, I'm going to take a walk because I want to play heavier shit mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. It's really hard, that whole hypothetical what, what would have mm -hmm. happened thing, but... Um, I know that after I was asked to leave and they went in a more melodic direction that it probably was meant to be. 
and it was fine with me because I went to nuclear assault. Yeah. And then next April in 85, Scott and Charlie called me, and we did SOD because they kind of realized seven months after they threw out Neil Turbin that maybe they fucked up and threw the wrong dude out. But yeah. instead of getting me back in the band, which would have been awkward now that they had Frankie, which was Charlie's nephew, as the bass player, it's not his fault. So they're going to keep him in the band. And do another band with me. Mm-hmm. And that turned into SOD, which got huge out of nowhere. Because it was just a joke. So, it, something would have happened. Some, they, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. What, so we were looking at all of the bands that we know of that you've been part of. What is Last Satanic Dance? That was a band that was just... You ever hear this? No. Oh, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> Last Satanic Dance, um, just think of the what the initials would be for that. Ah, mm. uh, okay. Got okay, it. so got it, got it. me and Kevin Sharp, the mm. vocalist of Brittle Truth, and Bones, who was the bass player in Disassociate and the metal basher in Missing Foundation, the industrial band from New York, did a band where we just used a sampler... And the concept was, we're going to drop acid, and we're just going to fucking do some shit. And that's what we did. And there was three songs, and one of them, I think, made it onto one of the Relapse Release Your Mind compilations, but there was three songs. One, I think, was called Caverness. That had a lot of acid. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was... It was about a deep, deep cavern where things happened. And uh, the funniest part about that was trying to hold it together because we did it on an analog A-track, which requires some technical, you know, you got to put wires in these wires and that and mm-hmm. everything like that. And once the acid kicked in, all that technical stuff got a little difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and then God, there was a point... wavy spaghetti. <laughs> and then we were like, shit, we need an adapter. We had the wrong adapter. I gotta go to Radio Shack. I gotta walk three blocks away to Radio Shack <laughs> to get the proper eighth inch to quarter inch to RCA adapter. And that was fun because that's when the acid started kicking in. Like right near the beginning, we realized after we dropped, like, wait a minute, we need this thing. <laughs> so we did it at our friend Jim's house, who was in the West Village. And I had to walk down Christopher Street to go down to Radio Shack. Christopher Street on the, was uh, a big, that's where all the homosexual leather boys that was where all their bars were and everything. And, of course, you know, I don't give a shit. People can do what they want. But, you know, walking back when the acid was kicking in and seeing all these Rob Halford dudes like, standing <laughs> outside bars and everything like that. Whoa, those dudes. <laughs> you know, and uh, um, I got back. I found the apartment, and we uh, hooked all the stuff up. And uh, one of the things that we used on the one of the songs was... It was around the time that we were recording the Brutal Truth Needs a Control record, and it made more sense for me to stay at my friend Jim's house, the same place we recorded this stuff, in the city, than go take the train to Queens and have to right. back to the studio at 11 a.m. Yeah. And he had one of those coffee makers where you could set a timer for it. So I remember waking up every morning and hearing the coffee dripping. You know, and we're like, we got to put that on because when you're tripping, it sounds like a waterfall. <laughs> so we mic'd up the coffee maker <laughs> and waited 
And then we drank the coffee too because we were tripping. We're like, let's have some fucking coffee, man. Why not? <laughs> you know, poured it in the beer and whatever. But but putting that those microphones up on the coffee maker, and then when it would just start dripping with reverb, it just it was. You wouldn't believe it was a coffee maker. It just felt like you were in the fucking Andes or something. <laughs> but that was last Static Dads. It was a project driven by uh, hallucinogenics. So that was like a one-day thing? Uh, it felt like a year. A year. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I think Grandma's headed to her pantry. Yeah? Yeah. What she got in there? Let's see. All right. Hurry up, Grandma.
So what are the chances that Grandma would pick Overlord Exterminator as her uh, demo for the week? Nice. She's got all kinds of stuff canned in there. She sure does. She's very into, (laughs) what's it called? Jarring? Jarring. What is it called? Canning. Canning. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that had uh, Adam and Chris from uh, Withered Earth and Discourge and it had Lee Fisher on drums. Of course, Danny on well, bass. Of course, yeah. We played Sunrise is My Destroyer off of the Crucify Everyone demo. Seed to Sun. Yeah. We need to know about this. About what? Seed, Seed to, to Sun. sun. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. That's my... Uh, God, was Good thing Heather's here. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> that's like, oh, fuck, the internet was wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I started to panic. <laughs> no, um... I haven't done a lot of soundtrack work, so I forgot. My friend, what's his name? Mark Zuniga. I think he was a friend of Ron's. Uh, I've always wanted to do soundtrack stuff, and I just never connected with the right people because I have all the instruments at home and instruments, obviously, just being on the computer, but and the wherewithal, the morbidness to do you know creepy shit and a lot of stuff I've done at home, people would go, that sounds like it would be on a soundtrack. So... Um, a friend of our, my old vocalist, Ron, got in touch and said, if you're into doing that, here's a little five-minute thing I did, and I want it to be like this here and that there, and that was a cool challenge, and I messed around with it and tried to give him what he wanted. It's just, I don't know whatever happens with it and how much it was used, so that's why I was thrown off. Oh, okay, this. okay. It was kind of obscure, and I, not, I wasn't positive that anything I'd ever done happens with it but yeah um i that's just part of the musical thing as far as away from like playing in metal bands or stuff that's like another side of shit where i like doing creepy music at home and some of it could work with what people would do visually and that's how that Mm -hmm. came about and um i would still be into doing stuff like that but I haven't really had the opportunity. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Is it, how would we hear the soundtrack? Because I tried to find the movie and I, I found reference to it, but I'm not. That's the thing. If he never really published it or did anything mm-hmm. with it, then I don't know because that was on an older computer I mm-hmm. have, and I don't even think I have the original. And he probably owns it, right? Or, or no. I imagine yeah. that he would, but it was just dark synth shit. Mm-hmm. It just sounded like, you know, a uh, skinny puppy with less rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how you, uh, how you would get a hold of that. But 
you know, if somebody buys me a big bag of weed, I'll redo it. <laughs> <laughs> How big are we talking? Yeah. <laughs> Eighth. That's a done deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Gimme Radio Show. Oh, did that come from the Decibel Fest? Is that how you met them people? Or yeah, yeah, I met them when I was pouring. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, yeah, that that's pretty cool. Right now, I just have it once every four weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was twice a month, right? Or no? It was twice a month, but they were having some structural stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And to be honest. It was getting a bit much every two weeks because I'm kind of a perfectionist and didn't want to play the same songs mm-hmm. twice. Also, I'm not good at public speaking, and I have to do little blurbs in between songs and talk, which I do, but I feel almost kind of false and bubbly doing it. Like, hey, you just heard blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> I'm not. I don't talk like that. But it doesn't come off that way. Oh, okay, good. Because uh-huh. you know, I'm not fucking Howard Stern or anything. <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, I'm uh, because then I, I was flattered they wanted me to part, wanted me to be a part of it, and I make my show as brutal and nasty as possible, and still play some old school stuff too. Mm-hmm. My whole theme is that as long as it's metal or a little hardcore, I'll play it, and that could be grindcore or black metal or Iron Maiden or whatever, and uh, yeah. Just had show number thirty. It's called Brain Death. The mm-hmm. other night as you would know. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I got to do is once a month come up with two less than two hours worth of cool shit to play and uh, send it over with my voice tracks, which is what the, when you sound like a DJ, those are the voice tracks. Mm-hmm. You know? You do that at home and then send it over? Yeah. Yeah. And then during the show, you're in like the chat room? Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the show, I just, uh, people are talking and everything and i uh chime in and go hey guys blah 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 then you know it was pretty cool uh last friday when i did mine there's some funny chick from finland Mm -hmm. the mating maiden something yeah i was reading some of that yeah yeah well we both were yeah yeah and it was funny because i don't interact with people i'm not on facebook or instagram so that's the closest i get Mm -hmm. to uh having any kind of social network activity, which is how I like it. Mm-hmm. And that's two hours a month. Mm-hmm. How would you measure success? Well, you know, if I was trying to just make play music to get laid or get rich, then I've fucking failed horribly. <laughs> um, success is getting to do what you want artistically and getting that to other people who appreciate Mm -hmm. it. I mean, I've played Wacken in front of 50,000 people and, you know, that's fucking awesome. But I also play in the bug jar in front of 60 people and that's fucking intense too. You know, when I started playing music because... It just kind of possessed me, and that's what I wanted to do. So to me, success is getting to do that, putting out records, going on tour. It's not about the ego gratification or anything like that. It's just about 
getting to take what you create and getting it so other people hear it and enjoy it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And even then, it almost sounds like ego gratification, but it's, you know, more about doing what you want and having people enjoy it, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So definitely more like on the self-satisfaction, ego, ego gratification and thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I could give a shit, you know. Have you always had that attitude? Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, okay, maybe when I was 16, I was like, oh, it'd be great to uh, meet a couple of chicks doing this. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that didn't last very long. Yeah. But then again, you were 16. You were horny. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I've never, let's just say it's easier to describe why I don't play music, which is to fucking make a million dollars or fucking, you know, meet a bunch of chicks mm. it's uh it was more about artistically just following you were gripped by something and you wanted to do it and if other people liked it great so i could say i've been successful in that aspect you know in a slight ego gratification way it's having the respect of other people mm -hmm. but that's not something it's more like i've had a lot of people say your music has really inspired me and blah, 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 and you get a feeling of satisfaction. Not like, oh, I'm fucking great because of that. It's mm -hmm. more like that you get a sense of satisfaction that people have enjoyed what you do and it meant a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? It's a fine line between that and, you know, I'm fucking cool. <laughs> so I think you've said that Aldiano is your preferred maiden vocalist. Yeah, I like the old Iron Maiden. I think that has also something to do with Iron Maiden's older material, which is more raw, mm -hmm. like him. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that'll argue that Nicholson was more talented, and Iron Maiden became more of what they blossomed into after that. But uh, I just like the old Masters stuff because mm -hmm. um, I'm old and nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Bruce is my preferred singer but killers is my favorite record well there you go well um, bruce is a much more talented vocalist but it's not always about talent it's, right. it's about feel i wanted to ask you if you've seen i guess this could be considered nonsense if you've seen lords of chaos and what your opinion is if you have no i haven't no. seen it i'm gonna wait till i could see it for free because mm -hmm. i'm not gonna support some hollywood butchering of something that i you know remember back then with you know it's kind of ironic. Some of the people that got to play some of the rules yeah. and everything yeah. like that. Um, no, I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very brutal and everything like that. But in a way, I don't have to see it. I remember all that shit. Mm -hmm. I'll see it when I don't have to pay for it, when I could sit home. I'm not going to support, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, what was the best thing before sliced bread? <sighs> not that old. <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer that's not why I asked that <laughs> alright what's the most trouble you've been in the most trouble I've been in you remember that story yeah I stole money out of my mom's purse when I was a teenager and my dad hit me and my dad never hit me you know, he was just like a nice middle-class Jewish guy from 
quid. Give a second, I hate this quid. Uh, yeah, I never uh, did any bad things musically related. You know, like pouring gas under a, a door that was slightly open, something like anything like that. You know, other than lighting a match and running. I know people have done that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just being a fucking teenager, doing stupid shit, being in the park, fucking... Gotta remember, we grew up in Queens. We were actually kind of well-behaved. When we hung out and drank beer in the park, we took all our bottles with us or threw them in the garbage. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, <clears throat> I play very aggressive music because it kind of purges anything that, you know, in any natural instincts I would have to like do any harm to anybody or anybody is all purged through the extreme music I play. So I'm actually quite a chill dude. I feel that. Yeah. It's very, uh, you know... It exorcises you. What was the money for? Hmm? Booze? Um, weed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Booze was in the liquor cabinet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was free. Yeah, just like, just oh, this vodka tastes a little watery. <laughs> I have a question. It's not nonsense, but I was curious. I was listening to your Mike Hill interview. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, you were at a local bar. McGregor's in Gates. Is that where it was? Okay. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. You, didn't you think it was at the beer garden? I thought they said it was a beer garden. Maybe Mike said a beer garden. It was a beer garden because what it was, it was the outdoor part of McGregor's mm-hmm. in Gates where they have tables. So it's considered the beer garden. But it was, uh, yeah, they were in town. They did a show, and then I think... Uh, we did the interview the day after or something like that. But yeah, that was for that whole Gimme Radio thing. Mm-hmm. The dude from Tombs, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, it was good. So we have four minutes. So we'll end with this. What advice Danny 2020 would give Danny 1980? 40 years ago, huh? <laughs> hmm. Don't buy weed off that dude on 36th Street. <laughs> <laughs> or else what? Or else you're going to fucking end up with uh, big stuff that won't get you high. <laughs> oh, no, in a more philosophical way, uh, I don't know, in a, in a more meaningful way, I guess. What would I say to 1980? Oh, even before I asked Um, Just corny shit, like... Follow your heart. Do what you want. Because, Don't listen to everyone else. Yeah, because that's what I did, you know? So you got your humorous part, and then you got that, that part, and I can't think of anything in between that's meaningful. You know? Um, use a pick. You'll play faster. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Use distortion. No one notice your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> You want to wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah. Danny, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. We you, can do this again. I know you have a lot more questions. We do. Uh, we can do this again. All right, cool. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, Well, there's no live shows to plug, really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, You have your radio show, though. Well, that's true. Every four weeks, you can listen to my show, which is called Brain Death on Gimme Metal. All you got to do is go to your app store and put Gimme Metal. I think it's even one word. You can even do two. It'll still find it. Mm-hmm. And download the app. 
And uh, there's still there's a lot of other cool shows in there too, but mine's the best. <laughs> and um, besides that, uh, if you are a local follower, then come shop at the Record Archive. Say yeah, hi man. To us, yeah. You know, and uh, as soon as we get our functions up and running, when it's okay with this fucking plague, then uh, we will do that. Ironically, the Last big thing at the archive was blurring playing the metal meltdown March tenth. We remember hundred yeah. motherfuckers, including you guys, in there having a great time. And hey, nobody died. Mm-hmm. You know, I think metal cures the plague. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Certainly not disco. <laughs> <laughs> All that dancing and sweaty armpits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Heather. Danny, Stormy, thank you guys so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you guys very much. You're very welcome. And uh, we'll do it again. All right. Well, that was fun. There was. Uh, it was awesome having somebody face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really miss that. And it's definitely a different vibe. It is, yeah. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fun talking to people remotely, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not the same as, no. like sitting down with a beer and like chatting face to face in studio in studio yes (laughs) so we didn't get through i don't know two-thirds of our questions no uh so we are planning part two yeah which we're really excited about yeah we have a ton more obscure questions for dan he's been so busy over his career that there's just a lot of questions yeah how do you wrap it up in an hour Mm -hmm. so I was um, thinking about that Metal Meltdown that um, instead of playing a live band, mm. they featured Slave to the Grind, oh, yeah. which Danny was a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really kind of cool because you can go in, sit down with a beer yep. amongst all of our friends yep. and watch the big screen mm-hmm. um, and see Dan being interviewed mm-hmm. about some of his career so yeah, and about the scene. Yeah, that's a cool movie. Yeah, yeah, it was. And the cool thing about it is it wasn't like you were going to the movies and you felt like you had to be like really quiet and not talk. Like, I feel like everyone had the freedom to like chit chat and Mm -hmm. whatever while the movie was kind of like playing in the background, but that's not at all how it went. Like we just, all of us just sat there quietly and watched the entire thing. Right, right. I I think that's a common thing with uh, that that the metal meltdown event is everyone's very respectful of everyone else absolutely yeah totally and that was no uh exception yep that night. yep yeah it was definitely cool yeah so you want to close out with a couple songs you know i do all right let's first hear one of danny's bands nocturnal hellstorm okay. with the song rot baron okay and then i think we should play circus mm. Um, of Famine, Darkness, and Sword. And this is a Danny Loker produced release. Yes, The Sacred Scars. Yes. (laughs) 